Let's open to Hebrews 13 this morning. We're going to look at a couple of verses, but I'll read the first eight or nine verses just to get us in context. I uh, do want to say we're very happy to be with you this morning. Uh, we've heard so much about you. Um, we go to Calvary Bible Church and want to give greetings from, from them. Uh, there in the, in the city, my wife Mary Beth from Fredericktown originally, and then we have our three three of our, our youngest daughters, uh, Rebecca, Faith, and Susie with us today. Uh, oldest one is married and plays the piano there at Calvary, and then the next one had Sunday school um, to teach, so she stayed, stayed behind. So really uh, glad to be with you. Let's look at Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and idolatrous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say, the, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led, as, led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted, who, those devoted to them. Let's pray together as we get into God's Word. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could look to you and your truth and your Word. Lord, I pray that you'll help me uh, to point my dear hearers to Christ and your promises. Lord, we pray for your Spirit to be working in all of our hearts as we consider what you have to say about contentment today. Lord, I pray for my hearers that you administer to them. Open their eyes to see the truth of the word of God. May the word of grace come to each of us today and point us to all that we have in the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. So our study this morning is on biblical contentment. Biblical contentment. Now we know... We are all supposed to accept what the Lord Jesus has put on our plate day by day. But this is something that to practice what we preach is difficult. It's easy to talk about contentment when we are healthy, when we are problem free, when it's not 2020 or 2021. But, but to be satisfied in Jesus alone when you're struggling. 
when we don't get what we want, when we're kind of disappointed or, or lonely or, or sick or maybe lost a, a friend, when our soul is just, we just feel like we're in trouble. That's, that's challenging. And it's only possible, of course, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and how the Lord grows our heart through those difficult times to, to be contended, frankly, in the source of all blessings in the first place, the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start with a definition I use for contentment. We're going to talk about some other ones later because we're going to face this. And this is a, it's kind of a heavy concept, but it's also very simple. So contentment, I understand, is to accept in faith with a thankful heart and a submissive spirit that which the Lord in his grace and wisdom ordains for us. It, it's, it's just being satisfied with what Jesus undeservedly provides for us in love. So as we talk about contentment, we're, we're talking about trusting him. And I mean that, or trusting him in a submissive way. And we do that because He's full of love, he's full of wisdom, and he's in control, graciously arranging things in our lives. Uh, now, this kind of contentment has been described in the olden days as a rare jewel. Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a book know, 400 years ago called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's one of those few books that... I was really sad when it was over. I was like, I could have used a little more. Uh, it was so good. But that's going to be our title today, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And we look at verse 5 is our main passage today. So kids, listen. This is a great passage. It says this, that we're to keep our lives free from the love of money and that means that we're to be satisfied or content with what we have. And the reason for those two commands is something that the Lord Jesus said a long time ago to a guy named Joshua, but it still applies to us who are indwelt by the Spirit as the gift of Christ. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we're going to look at this two-part command, kind of a negative part and then a positive part, and then we're going to see the reason, this beautiful motive that goes back to who Jesus is himself. The negative part of the command is found in the beginning of verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. So true freedom in Christ means that I'm not a slave to money or things, or a certain lifestyle that I must have because of money. Instead, I have freedom in the gospel to serve Christ, to serve those in need. This means that I'm not going to demand of the Lord Jesus that I'm going to do what I want to do in every circumstance. I'm going to submit to him. 
I'm going to submit my plan to Christ. And that means that my way of life and my thinking is not going to be controlled by just getting more. But it's what the Lord graciously provides for me. And I can accept that. And I can trust him. And I can submit to him because he does all things well. Really then, we're going to say that this is a call not to have our joy tied to our finances. So therefore, I'm not going to live beyond my means as a way to find peace or work myself into the ground because the Lord gives his beloved sleep. So another translation says, keep your character free from covetousness. It's the same idea. Keep your life free from the love of money. It's God's grace to help us to admit sometimes that I love money, that I trust money, that I'm discontent, or you know what, I'm covetous, or, you know, I guess I'm really demanding comfort, and that's the only thing I'm going to accept. That's God's grace to show us this. Now, I know you may say, yeah, of course I struggle with wanting more, 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 but doesn't everyone? Well, listen to what Scripture says, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Why? That's not where our contentment or satisfaction comes. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity, Ecclesiastes says. Uh, Jesus, when he deals with this, he presents a desire for wealth as actually a danger. After Jesus dealt with this uh, rich young man, He looked around, and this is what he told his disciples. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed with Jesus' words. But again, Jesus said, children, how hard is it to enter uh, enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. That's Mark 10. So Jesus was saying, It is impossible for a person who trusts in riches to get into heaven because a rich man that does that is trusting in himself. However, by the grace of God, it is possible that God's grace can change our hearts so we're trusting in Christ alone. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the thought here that, that just thinking that hoarding and just trusting in those things that money can buy as my stability really brings about kind of a metallic, lifeless heart. And this is why our Lord graciously, graciously tells us, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money. Matthew 6.24. So that's the text that says, let's keep our lives free from the love of money. Keep our character free from covetousness. But now the positive side. And be content with what you have. Kids, this means be happy. Be satisfied with what you have. It's a beautiful thing. Simple words, but sometimes they're difficult to obey, aren't they? Remember, before he was cast down, Satan and his fallen angels had heaven itself to dwell in and the immediate presence of God. But they weren't content, were they? Adam and Eve had the Garden of Eden to live in with freedom to use everything in it except one tree. But they weren't content. Ahab had his throne, had his kingdom. Oh, but there was a little vineyard named by, uh, uh, owned by Naboth. And if it wasn't his, he couldn't be happy. Haman, in the book of Esther, he was the favorite ruler of the Persian king when Esther was the queen. But so long as Mordecai the Jew sat at the gate, he could not be content. It's the same thing today. Complaining, dissatisfaction, demanding something different than what I have, uh, discontentment with what we're going through. It's so, so common. Just to hear someone say... I, I have enough. Seems crazy uh, to hear or, or to think, I want something more. I want something different. It's the unified thought of our world, and maybe it can dominate our entire life. Oh, if I just had this, if I just had this, if I just had this. Let me ask you, how many of you do not want something different from what you have right now? You say, I would like something more or I'd like something less, or I'd like something different. And that can kind of become our rat race of life, our entire existence. Uh, flip, uh, flip over to James 4, just for a second. James 4. Um, I've been learning a lot from, from James, and James 4 talks about how a discontented heart actually leads to arguments and fights where we demand something different and actually can end, uh, end up in big wars between uh, civilizations and countries. But, of course, uh, James goes to the heart of the matter. Uh, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your, your passions are at war within you? Now, what does that look like, this war inside of our hearts? Well, you desire and you don't have. Okay, so what do we do in that situation? Well, here negatively, the result is you murder. I'm going to get something any way I want. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I want this. I want it now. I wanted to sit there. I wanted that piece. They got that. I wanted this. 
You, you covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. But notice this. You don't have because you don't ask. Here's this turning us to just submissively trust the Lord in what? In prayer. Why don't we just pray about it? Well, I want that right now. Let's, let's stop and ask the Lord what his will is. Let's have an attitude that submits to him. And then also he may reveal while we pray, verse 3, that you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you just want it for yourself. Or, or that wouldn't really be what would be good for us. Or you know what? To have perfect health right now, the Lord has a different plan. Or to have that relationship with that person smooth. No, you know what? The Lord has some things to teach both of you. Or to struggle with this. That's just what the doctor ordered. Now, uh, let's, let's go down, since we're in James 4, and look at uh, verse 13. I think this is the same thought tied into here, this contented spirit. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. Yet... Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're, you're a mist that appears for a little time that vanishes and said you ought to say, here's our, here's our heart attitude that even comes out of our mouth at times. If it's the Lord's will, if it's his plan, we'll live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So picture this as just kind of this complaining, demanding heart that we have sometimes quite subtle to do what we want to do. So whoever knows to do the right thing and fails to do it, to him it's said. So we have, an, we have an attitude now, a contented heart, Lord. Whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you will, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to submit in, to you. You're wise. You're in charge. You're gracious. You're kind. Let's go back to Hebrews 13 now. So I'm asking you for your freedom and joy in Christ to receive the full weight of the text of Scripture. This is the word of the Lord. And be content with what you have. Would that bring you freedom in Christ? Would it bring me? Absolutely. Be content with what you have. Now, Jesus doesn't say, be content with those things you used to have. Neither does he say, be content with those things you want to have, but with the things you have now. Now. What are we to be content with? Well, I would just ask you, what are you struggling with today? And you'll find your answer. It's amazing in 2 Corinthians 12, Listen to what the Lord in his grace worked in Paul's life through thorns in the flesh that were to keep him humble. Paul ends by saying, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with what? Weaknesses. Whoa. I'm content with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Why? For, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Remember, that's the grace is sufficient passage. Like in his weakness, he learned how beautiful and strong and gracious Christ was. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we can't pray for God's help to change our situation. doesn't mean that. We can pray about all things, but we, we don't pray with sinful demand for change that's kind of reflected in a restless complaint. We, we pray for God's will and for grace to turn our hearts to him. Now, let me give you some older definitions or explanations of contentment. And these are a few that I found helpful for me. Uh, William Plumer uh, wrote this. Contentment is a disposition of mind in which we rest satisfied with the will of God respecting our temporal affairs, so everyday affairs, without hard thoughts and hard speeches concerning his allotments and without any sinful desire for change. It submissively receives what is given It thankfully enjoys present mercies. It leaves the future in the hands of unerring wisdom. Isn't that good? Or what about uh, Jeremiah Burroughs himself from the book, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment? Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Uh, now, if you want a quick summary, uh, th- uh, Thomas, uh, uh, I don't know how you say that, Giacome, uh, Giacome says this, when a, man, when a man likes whatever God doeth to him or with him, this is contentment. That's pretty straight to the point, huh? That's good stuff. Also, I want to quote a little bit from Thomas Boston, uh, his, his sermon. And, and this is a good title for you to speak on sometime, A, a Hellish Sin of Discontent. How do you like that? That's, a, that's, that's an old, straightforward title. It's a very good sermon. Listen to what he says. In discontentment, he says, there's a, there's a spice of heart blasphemy in it, of like speaking against God. It strikes very directly against God. This is discontent, murmuring. Strikes against God, the governor of this world, and it accuses his administration. What does it accuse him of? I know better than you. Your way is not good. What's up? So our definition again to accept of contentment, to accept in faith, with a thankful heart and submissive spirit, that which the Lord in his grace and wisdom ordains for us, being satisfied with what Jesus undeservedly provides for us in love. Now, I don't know about you. As much as I hear this, I I just feel like I can't escape a grinding sense of discontentment at times. But the good news is this is something that we can learn, that the Spirit of God teaches us and grows us in, that he often uses the sandpaper of trials to learn how to rest in Jesus. So let's go uh, real quick to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 
Okay, so we could say in one sense, uh, the occasion of Philippians was to thank, uh, for Paul to thank the, uh, the church in Philippi, which is northern day Greece today, uh, to thank them for, for financially supporting him. But, and so he's thanking them, but kind of sharing what was it like when they didn't. So they, he didn't want them to feel bad about it, but he was actually teaching them about this. So verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So this is, they were able to send him something financially. You were indeed concerned for me, but he didn't have opportunity at the time. And then he says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul is showing us that in the, the course of his growth and grace, he had to accept just what the Lord graciously, wisely provided for him. And he had to learn this. He didn't learn this by living at the same place of existence day in and day out. The Lord gave him what we would call tests of faith. That's what trials are described, right, by James 1. So he was being tested. <laughs> and this test came, sometimes he didn't have a lot, and sometimes he had a whole lot. And the Lord was teaching him. How was he doing this? Let's go back to uh, Philippians not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have, I have learned. Isn't that neat? We can learn and grow by God's grace. We can learn whatever situation I am to be content. He describes this, verse 12, I know how to be brought low. That was part of God's plan. And I know how to abound. Didn't feel guilty about that? There were seasons of abounding. And I and in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, of facing plenty. We could maybe talk about that sometime. Just what do you do when you have a lot? That's that's challenging to live that way. He's learned the secret, how to face a lot, face plenty, and the secret of facing hunger. The secret of facing of of of, of, of having abundance. And the secret of, at times, being content uh, while he's in need. And it comes down to relying on Christ and enjoying Christ and resting in Christ. Verse 13, this is the context of this famous verse. I can do all things through him, through Christ, which strengthens me. They say, well, I, I quoted that to myself right before I was going to jump over that six foot six bar when I was in high school at the track meet. And you know what? I knocked the bar down. I'm, I'm teasing you, right? <laughs> the context here is, is being happy in Christ when you have a little or a lot. It's about Christ. And, you know, we could also go down to verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 20, God, the, uh, our God and Father gets, this, gets glory for, for, forever. So you can learn. You and I can learn and grow in contentment. 
There was an ancient story of a king who had a, an illness, and his wise men said that he would be cured if he could find the, the shirt of a contented man, and he could wear that. So they searched it for a contented man, but they could never find one, and so he sent his messengers to the very edge of the, the realm. Finally, 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 he found someone that was contented. But you know what? The contented person didn't have a shirt. See, contentment comes from a source other than things or possessions. We know because of God's grace that true contentment comes from Christ, resting in his care, his presence. And this is evidence as we follow the flow back here in Hebrews um, 13. We look now at the very last section of Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of, of money. We've seen that. And be content with what you have. We, we've seen that. And now we're looking at the foundation, or we could say the strong foundation for contentment. How can this be possible? How can I grow in this way? Well, it says here, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So here we have that the ground, the foundation of resting in what God allows in our lives is, is a single promise from the Old Testament, from Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, he has said. That's the blessing of God's word. We have all these glorious promises. The promises of God, they're a gift to us, right? They're a gift in times of trouble. They're, they're like, a, like a, a glass of cold water when we're thirsty and discontented in our souls. It's kind of like if you're a, a soldier on a battlefield and you're told to hold the ground, and you say, well, I'm, I'm holding the ground because I have orders, and I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to trust in what my general said. So here it is. Here it says, he has said something, that we're to have the promises of God close to our hearts. And of course, we're going to have days of trouble and sorrow, and, our, and, our, and we're going to struggle with contentment. And what will sustain us in those days? The promises of God. Now, lots of wonderful promises. What's the promise here to help us with contentment? It says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Think about this. That is the promise we have to help us rest content with the Lord. So we take from this that there's, there's something about considering the caring presence of the Lord, the gracious presence of the Lord Jesus that fills me with contentment. And I grow in this area. There's something about the love of Jesus that satisfies us in a way that nothing else ever can. And of course, we're reminded here in this passage that we are dwelt with the inheritance of God's own spirit as our comforter. 
But, but more than this, when it says that he'll never leave us and never forsake us, we are brought to the truth that, that the Spirit brings us into union with our Lord Jesus, that we are in Christ and he is in us. It's like a vine and branches. It's supposed to be picturing, pictured in the home between the love of the, the, the husband to his wife. So, so as I look at the end of verse 5, I, I, it, it strikes me that if, if, I, if I want to learn contentment on a heart level, I need to learn to rejoice in every aspect about what Jesus has revealed about himself and what I learn about Jesus through the ways of his grace in my life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times we're unhappy or discontent because we lose those comforts or those things we once had. And so now the Lord says, I'm, I'm helping you to draw that comfort from me. Rejoice in me. Be content with me. You say, well, but my pipeline of blessings have been cut off. And the Lord, so to speak, is saying, For, forget about the joys from the pipeline that was cut off. Come to the actual fountain of all good things, Jesus himself. Yeah, you know, we can take this to the, the final conclusion that we're not going to have a lot of these things in heaven that we're discontent about. Why? Because we have Christ himself, Jesus himself. That, that he becomes our all in all. And, and we learn this in a perfect sense in heaven. So here in, in this process of learning to be content and resting in the fact that I have the eternal presence of, of, of Christ himself through his spirit and union with him, that Jesus is teaching us what it means to be satisfied with Christ. And through the power of, of Christ, we learn that he's more than enough to make up for any of our outward discomfort and loss. This is what the Lord is doing in our lives on a heart level. He's teaching us. We're learning this. But, but how valuable is this promise to you this morning when Christ says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Uh, the, the English language doesn't fully ref reflect the Greek. Uh, there's five negatives in the Greek. Uh, kind of the idea of, of never, no never, no ever, ever. Charles Spurgeon, he had a famous sermon on this passage. Maybe you heard this before. His title was, Never, 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 never. That was his title. Five negatives, he just named it that. See, as we grow older, we come to see that this world is a place of change. We leave, we part, we fail, we disappoint. Here we have someone who will never leave us and never fails us. Everything on earth is going to leave. 
Health is going to leave us. Friendship, dreams all fly away. Here today, gone tomorrow. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We have to leave one another. Grow up in these nice, loving families. Then we're scattered all over the country. We see friends and relatives here and then. We have to leave again. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We're left by those we love. They die. They don't want to. They die. Family reunions, class reunions become small. They become quiet. And I'm not saying don't love. We should love. But the more you love, the more you feel the loss. But Jesus says, I'll never leave you. That relationship between Jesus and the child of God never ends. It's everlasting. It lives on when the body dies. It actually is made brighter and stronger by the grave. And this is the answer that the scripture gives us about contentment. You say, that's a strange answer, but why is it strange to us? Maybe it's strange for the very reason he's causing us to go through some difficulties. So we learn to really delight and rejoice and hope and submit to Christ. He is the treasure. He is the jewel. So here's our text today. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, Jesus doesn't say, remember, my friends, my people will always have pleasant things. They will always have lobster and filet mignon. He does not say you won't have trials. He doesn't say your trials will be short or few. He hasn't said those things. Often the Lord Jesus sends to us afflictions. He grows our hope by suffering. He purifies us by sorrow. He makes us truly content through difficulties and loss. I I teach the senior saints at our church. They're very contented people, even though they've suffered a lot of loss because Christ is so big to them. See, all our afflictions are actually helps to heaven. He strengthens our faith by disappointments. And you know how he does that? He surprises us with with new delights in Christ. This is why it's so precious. I will never leave you, Jesus says. I'll, I'll never forsake you. This is the promise of the gospel. This is why Christ came to suffer for us, to die for us, to fulfill the law in our place so that being justified by faith, we can have peace with him. The blessing of the, the, the imputed righteousness of Christ and justification is that we have eternal life. We're adopted into his family. We experience forgiveness. Friends, hold on to that little word, never in your trials. It's worth its weight in gold. Cling on to this promise that he'll never leave you and forsake you. Cling on to it like a a drowning person clinches a life preserver. Jesus himself has said it, and it's very practical. 
when I'm discontent. Lord, I'm going to submit to you in your wisdom. You're with me. And I, I can see through this episode, I need to rejoice in you more because I'm barking up the wrong tree. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Though, though hurricane winds and waves of trouble go over your head and all our hope seems gone, even then, the word of Christ will stand. Verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could look at this truth of contentment. Lord, this morning you call us to be contented first with the reality that there's only one path to forgiveness and heaven. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. You're the only sacrifice for sins. You're the only source of perfect righteousness. It's Jesus, not us, not a church. Christ alone. Lord, may we in faith call out on your name. Lord, I do pray for my dear brothers and sisters here that you would bless them by giving them a repentant heart over complaining, discontented, unsubmissive demands. And Lord, bless them by helping all of us to grow in a thankful, submissive, heart of faith to you. Lord, you do all things well. We don't see how all this wraps together, but you're, you're growing us. You're changing us. Lord, help us to be content with what we have because we know we have Christ. We have your, your blessings and your presence. Lord, some of us really struggle with practically delighting in Jesus and enjoying you. And, and sometimes you kindly cut off our blessings so that we go to the source of all blessings, Jesus himself. Lord, this morning, set us anew. Correct our hearts, our thinking. Oh, Lord, sometimes we put so much pressure on our relationships and friendships and uh, dating or marital relationships that we just crush the life out of other people looking for the joy that only comes from Christ, the satisfaction that's only found in you. Lord, forgive us for that. And I pray that we'll go to you and we will enjoy you and we'll delight in you. And Lord, help us not to reject you and fall into quick sin, trying to, trying to get a quick fix when really our true joy and delight is in you and what you provide. Lord, we have a lot to learn Thank you for your word teaching us today, and thank you for your, your constant, faithful, patient instruction of us, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. May all the glory go to you. In Jesus' name we pray.